Our Bible reading today is taken from 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. going to commence reading at verse 14, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. We invite all who are online to get their own copy of the scripture so that the word will come up on the screen. We would encourage you to take the book and read. It's great to hear them. It's also a blessed thing to see the words. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziph, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeriel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed, Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekia. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, and ye shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text this morning is taken from Second Chronicles chapter 20. Verses 15 through to 17. And my theme today I've entitled, The Christian's Greatest Comfort in This Life. Now keep that thought in mind. 
You see, this was a day of great crisis in the land of Judah. The land and its people were in grave danger of being destroyed by a powerful enemy. Three countries had come together in a conglomerate, the Amorites, the Moabites, and the Edomites, and they conspired to overthrow King Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel. This powerful enemy was already seen in the hills and forests of Engedi. They had come uh, along the uh, Jordan and crossed over in the south coast of the Dead Sea and up into the uh, forest and the cliffs of Zin. Now they're in striking distance of Jerusalem, one or two days away. This was a day of great trauma, day of great danger. Now according to verse 3, we read, Jehoshaphat feared. You see, he sensed and realized the peril that the whole land faced. Notice it says he feared. You've got to think of the king trembling in his heart and mind. And the Bible tells us what he did, that he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. Look with me at verse 12. It says, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are unto thee. Here's part of his great prayer. It's an honest confession We have no might against this great multitude, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are on thee. Now think of Jehoshaphat. Think of what he's doing here in this crisis. He is praying and he's pleading for God's help in this hour of need. He is looking to the Lord to divinely intervene, to bring about their deliverance. He's confessing that he needs the Lord's help. He is desirous of God's help. He's asking for the Lord's help in the midst of crisis. And the Lord, in answer to prayer, came amongst them as a congregation. And God gave them a word for the hour. And that was a word of great comfort and reassurance for God's people. And that is the Christian's greatest comfort in life to get a word from God for the hour. You think of that congregation assembling in the great temple. They're praying. They're fasting. They're seeking God's face. They're asking God's counsel. And suddenly the Spirit of the Lord came upon a man by the name of Jehaziel. He was the son of Zechariah the prophet. And this is what he said. Look at verse 15. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and now King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziph, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeriel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. You see, remember, this was a word for them in the midst of a crisis. 
In the midst of a battle situation, God's people are afraid. They're fearful. They're cast down. They, they face an uncertain future. And what do they get? Into the midst of that situation, they get a word from the Lord. And that's a word to encourage and help them in that difficult day. Now, maybe you're facing a time of crisis now as a Christian. A particular situation has arisen in your family's circumstances, and you don't know what to do. And with a set of circumstances uh, facing your family, you're unsure, you're confused, you're afraid. What can you do? Well, get before the Lord. Call upon him. Fast and pray. Wait until he comes and supplies the answer. If you would ask me, well, what would I do in times of trouble? Then here's the best advice that I could give you. Turn to him. Talk to him. Trust in him. Triumph through him. Does the Bible not say in Psalm 55 verse 22, Cast thy burden in the Lord and he shall sustain thee. But maybe it's a crisis in the church. Isn't this a day of difficulty for the church of Jesus Christ? Isn't the devil hard at work in our day and generation? You think of the sowing of discord and the division. You think of the day when few souls of any are getting saved. Few souls of any are coming in from the community. Do we not in Carried Off FPC need additional families? Do we not need children for the work of God? We do because the children are the lifeblood of the work of God. They're not only the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today, growing up amongst us. And what can we do? Well, we can get before the Lord. We can pray and wait on him and wait for his answer and his help. Maybe it's a crisis in the country. And we think of our country at this time and a great multitude has risen up. Enemies of God and of Jesus Christ. Enemies of truth and righteousness. And what do we do? Well, the reality is we're full of fear and apprehension. There's a battle going on for light against darkness. A battle for good against evil. A battle for truth against error. A battle between God and the devil. There's many enemies. We have our own internal enemies. The world, the flesh and the devil. We've got external enemies. You think of the governments of the day all around the world. Are they not hostile to our God and his law? Have they not promoted and legislated for particular sins? Does, does this legislation not prove they're opposed to God and his truth? We feel the heat of that. We feel under pressure. And what can we do? Well, we, we, we acknowledge, well, we can't overthrow the government. We can't defeat them. We can't cast them out. We have no strength or power or ability. It would be illegitimate of us. So what can we do? Well, we can turn to our God. We can talk to him. We can trust in him. We can seek his face until he comes and at least gives us a word of comfort, a word of consolation, a word to reassure us. Here's a word for the people of God. And I put it to you this morning. That is the Christian's greatest comfort in this life. Let me just share a few thoughts as I have wrote them down this morning. There's a word of personal comfort here. Look at verse 15. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you. We'll pause there. Thus saith the Lord 
unto you. You think of God's people in the temple. They're weeping, they're waiting, they're fasting, they're praying. And here's the Lord's answer. It's a word for all the people. The vast crowd collectively. But it's also a word for the individual. You see, I believe this morning that whatever the crisis is as a Christian or the crisis in the church or the crisis in the country, the God of heaven has a very personal word, a personal message for his people, even in the midst of crisis. Isn't it wonderful this morning to know that God speaks, thus saith the Lord unto you. It's a mercy that God speaks. The Spirit of God can bring a message from the Lord to our hearts. The Spirit of God can bring a different message than the one here of comfort and reassurance. He can bring a message of rebuke, a message that calls us to repent and put away sin, a message, of course, that reminds us that if we fail to repent and put away sin, that the Lord will deal with us in judgment. But this wasn't a word of rebuke, a word that called them to repentance and put away sin, threatening judgment. No, this was a personal word of reassurance. Think of this. The Spirit of God came on a man of God. And that man had a word from God. Notice this. Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thy King Jehoshaphat. You see, it was as if he was saying to everybody present, listen to me, I have a word from you. You see, the Lord is speaking in and through Jehaziel. It's not the king's word. It's not a message from the top brass militarily on how to defeat the enemy. It's not even the king's advisors. It's not even the government officials. See, remember the enemies at the gate. You can sense the panic and the fear. You can almost hear them, them knocking at the door. And the man of God stands up and says, I've got a word from God for you. And I put it to you this morning that that is the greatest comfort in the world. And no matter what your trouble, your tears, your trials are, what you need to get is a personal word from God for your soul. Whether you're in darkness and need light, or whether you're in fear and you need peace, or whether you're weak and you need strength, the greatest comfort is getting a word from God. You see, the psalmist discovered this secret, and I want you to discover it today. Over there in Psalm uh, 119, and in the verse 49, listen to what he says. Psalm 119, verse 49. Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope, this is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. And this is in the section of the psalm with the Hebrew letter Zion, or Zion, and it refers to the hammer. And you think of what a hammer does, putting the nail home. Well, it's as if the hammer of God's word is knocking in the heart. I have got a word from God for you. 
Now notice what that word is. If you look again at the text, verse 15 of Second Chronicles, he says, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. I know you fear this great multitude. That's what the Lord was saying. Yes, they're vast. Yes, you have no chance against them in your own strength or power. Yes, you're so few in comparison. Yes, there's nothing you can do against this great multitude. But, but listen to me. Be not afraid. In other words, let go of your fear. You see, the truth is, the king was afraid. And everybody else in the kingdom was afraid. The truth is, we are all afraid. Do you know the bravest of men in any battle are afraid? We read that Jehoshaphat feared. But he overcome his fear. He didn't allow the fear to dominate him. He didn't allow the fear to take control of his heart and mind. And I would say to you, don't allow the fear to, to paralyze you, to, to terrorize you. The truth is, we fear the enemy in the land. The truth is, we're facing a great wicked multitude. You think sadly, and I would encourage you to pray for our Prime Minister and the uh, Westminster Parliament, but the reality is, we have an anti-Christian, anti-God government. And they're pushing a worldview that's contrary to the word of God. They're pushing an alternative lifestyle. They're certainly pushing abortion and demand in Northern Ireland. And that's what this solemn assembly for our nation in September the 25th at 3 p.m. is all about. It's to cry to God. They're also pushing euthanasia. I've just read this week about the British Medical Board. They have voted to relax their opposition to the introduction of euthanasia. The killing off of our dear elderly. Think of the encroachment of secularization. Humanism. Atheism. Do, do we not have amongst the people a hedonistic lifestyle so that if they're in the open air and they hear somebody singing or preaching, they get mad. And you think of the arrest of people and preachers in the open air uh, using what is called hate crime legislation, equality legislation, and they've been jailed for hours and some of them have been jailed for days and they're looked upon as a menace and a nuisance to society. You can understand the fear now. We're only a handful, a tiny minority. From a human point of view, we, we can understand the fear. But don't allow the fear to control us. Don't allow the fear to dominate us. Let's ask this, what can we do against the enemy? We're powerless. That's true. We have no might. We, we, we couldn't contest against them. How can truth and righteousness prevail? And here's the answer. A personal word from the Lord. That's what we need. And his word is, be not afraid. Let me say this for your encouragement. Before Pentecost, many disciples were there. There was 120. The whole of Jewry was against them. <clears throat> they lived in the Roman Empire, an alien environment. A totalitarian empire, we have to say. The rule of Caesar was law. He could have put you in jail as quickly as Pharaoh could. He was a forerunner of, of Antichrist. So you've got to think of a hostile Gentile world dominated by Rome 
And here's 120 disciples, a few of them are just ignorant fishermen. And yet within a generation, under God, they had turned the world upside down. 3,000 converted in the day of Pentecost, another 5,000 converted, and then daily conversions. And of course, sadly, in the 4th and 5th century, a, a decline started, started long before that with the heresy of Gnosticism. And then the Reformation came. And after, say, like um, a, a, a thousand years and more of darkness, Martin Luther took on the might of papal Rome. And that church was all-powerful. And it had an all-pervasive influence in the whole of state, and the whole of the Western Hemisphere, we could say. And if you opposed that regime, said aught against it, well, you would certainly be arrested. You could be interrogated, tortured, maybe even put to death. Many were. And you think of Martin Luther at the Diet, April 1621. Remember what he said, Here I stand. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I can do none other. So help me God. You think of the light that came to dispel the darkness from Reformation time. And then days of revival and renewal in the 18th, 19th century. So much so that that had a profound Christian influence on the United Kingdom right up to the present time. And it's only in this past 60, 70 years that that uh, uh, profound Christian influence has began to be eroded. And we now begin to sense the immediate danger. And what's our first response? It's fear. See, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare. What was Joshua afraid of? Are we afraid of reputation? Being told that we're intolerant, told that we're Bible bigots, so on and so forth. Are we afraid of retribution? Physical abuse and torture, imprisonment and even death? Is it fear of retaliation? Maybe the loss of a job? You think you've got a family? You've got to live? You've got a mortgage? How can we overcome that fear? The fear of man that brings a snare. Losing our reputation, being, uh, suffering retribution, uh, suffering retaliation. Here's the answer. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, Fear not them which can kill the body, but rather fear him that hath power to throw both body and soul into hell. The fear of the Lord overcomes the fear of man. Remember Joshua. He was afraid. And what did the Lord tell him? Only be strong and have a good courage. Why? Because he was timid and fearful. And three times he got that message. Think of these words, be not afraid nor dismayed. The word dismayed means to lose heart, to be discouraged and distressed to the point where your heart is completely sunken, you have no power nor strength to go on. It's an impossible situation. You see, this was a word of personal comfort. Notice secondly, and very quickly, it was a word of particular comfort. You see, look at the words, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. See, isn't it so easy to say, well, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed, but you're saying, what about the battle? What about the enemy at the gate? They'll soon be killing us. They'll soon be taking us off as slaves. And what did the Lord say? For the battle is not yours but God's. 
You see, let me share something this morning. Fighting your own battle is not God's idea. It's not God's will for you. You see, we know the enemy's real. We know the enemy is too great for us individually. The enemy is very powerful. We have every reason to be afraid. But the Lord comes with his personal word and is so particular, for the battle is not yours, it's mine. What a word. I've got it all under control. I'm going to deal with this. See, you've got to think here of the subject of the battle. It's a battle. You have your individual battles and I have mine. Every church has congregational battles. Is there not a battle going on in the country for the heart and soul of the land and its people? And the Lord comes and says, the battle is not yours, it's mine. You see, I've often said to the Lord in prayer, and here after we opened the new building at the side of the piano here, Lord, this is your work, it's not mine. And Lord, you can blast us, you can break us, you can bend us, or you can bless us. You see, the work is the Lord's. And we've got to remember that even in the face of the enemy. Not only the subject of the battle, but think of the sovereign in the battle. The battle's not yours, but God's. What a reassurance. It's the Lord's cause that's at stake. We're in a spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to uh, the, the church at Ephesus. He says in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Even though the enemy's at the gate and we face a crisis, it's not our battle. It's God's battle. It's as if the Lord is saying, I'm the commander of my people. You don't need to fight in your name. You only go in my name. You don't go in your strength or power. You go in mine because I'm your sovereign. Remember their strength for the battle. He said in verse 17, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. You see, fighting our own battles is not God's idea. Human beings, we get exhausted easy. We get discouraged. And why? Because we keep trying in our own strength or power. I've got a crisis, but I have power to overcome. There's a crisis in the church, but I can deal with it in my own wisdom, strength, and power. There's a crisis in the country. I can do the same. We, we can exert our power and our strategy. And we haven't been successful. Why? We forget that we need the Lord. We need the Lord's strength, we need the Lord's power, we need the Lord's wisdom, and we must learn to trust the Lord to prevail in the midst of the crisis. We're told in Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. That's the only battle that we have. The fight of faith, the battle of believing the Lord, trusting the scriptures of truth when God speaks, and having that inward conviction Thus saith the Lord to our souls, so we become convinced and convicted, and, and, and we, we stand confidently on that word from God. That's our strength, and that's the only battle we have. Notice the strategy for the battle. Here's the order. Here's the requirement. Verse 17. Notice what he says. Set yourselves. That's the first thing. Stand ye still. Second thing. 
and see the salvation of the Lord with you. There's the third thing. You're not going to fight, but you've got to face the enemy. I want you to stand still. You see, standing is part of God's order. And standing, facing the enemy, is different from doing nothing. Standing's not a dereliction of duty. Having faith to stand in the Lord's name to face the enemy. And then what does he promise? See the salvation of the Lord. Let me digress just for a moment. You think of the battle of Calvary. Here's the greatest battle of all. The battle between God and the devil. The battle between Jesus Christ and Satan himself. And you see, people imagine, maybe you're here and you imagine this this morning, that the devil put Jesus to death on the cross and defeated him. And then after the resurrection, Christ emerged as the ultimate victor. You think of the Lion King film and the death of the, uh, the Lion King himself. Who put the Lion King to death? It was his opponent. And people imagine that's what happened at the cross. But I want to tell you, that's not true. Because remember, Jesus Christ was on the cross voluntarily. And it was the Father's will and plan to put him to death. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah chapter 53 and in the verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. And over in John, in John chapter 10 and verse 17, we read these words. The Savior himself, listen to what he said. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself up voluntarily to a sacrificial death. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. You see, the devil struck at his heel. But the Lord Jesus, in his death, bruised the head of the serpent by his once and for all offering for sin. And he purchased for us a full and free and forever pardon. And we can have peace with God. And we can have the assurance that we are accepted in the beloved and we're complete in him. And we're seated in Christ. And the precious blood has cleansed away every sin. Isn't that what the psalmist said? Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Sin carried away. Covered over. Sin cancelled out. You see, do you believe that word? Can you say, I believe in the word of God as it relates to Christ and his victorious sacrificial death on Mount Calvary? When you and I face the sinner, whether in the open air or at home or factory, school, university, we speak the truth in love. We can't convert the sinner. We have no power to influence his heart or mind. But we speak in the name of our God. That word of witness, that, that honest confession of Christ. 
When we face society in the open air, whether we're down in Belfast or whatever, we may not want to be there. We may not want to face the foe. We may be laughed at and mocked and called bigots and intolerant and so on and so forth, but we do it in the Lord's name, in the Lord's strength. And what about the state? When we can't force the government to accept biblical morality, we can't force them to change their mind, but we can face them. And we can say, I believe in the word of God with conviction, and we can look them in the eye and tell them this word of truth from God. Here's particular comfort. The battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Think of that subject, your battles. Remember the sovereign in it. Remember the strength from the battle is his, by his grace. And here's the strategy. We're to set ourselves to face the enemy. We're to stand still in the Lord's strength. And we're to see his salvation. Remembering if the greatest battle of all was Calvary, then any other battle fails into insignificance in relation to it. And lastly, this morning, there's a word of practical comfort. Here's the practicality of this word of comfort. Truth will triumph. God will prevail. Look, look what he says in verse 17. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. Let me say in closing this morning, there's a repetition here. We're hearing it for the second time. Fear not, nor be dismayed. How good God is. Isn't he interested in us? Doesn't he treat us so kindly and so graciously that he's willing to repeat his word? He's already told them, be not afraid, nor be dismayed. But he repeats it the second time. I trust that you'll hear that repetition. And notice the reference. He says here, for the Lord will be with you. That's a reference to Jehovah. He's the sun and shield of his people. He's our guide and guardian on life's journey. His glory and grace, the Lord will be with you. Couldn't you take that to school, young people, tomorrow? To go into the university, if you're starting for the first time, into the workplace and remember, for the Lord shall be with you. How could I face this ungodly classroom? How could I face the mocking of her professor? How could I face the cursing and the lifestyle of, of ungodly workmates? Well, here's the answer. Have reference for the Lord, for the Lord will be with you. Notice the reassurance here. He says, if you could write down to verse 20, O Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. In other words, faith in him. You see, this is a word of practical comfort. It was repeated. It brought about reverence. They remembered the Lord was going to be with them. And they had that reassurance. Believe in the Lord your God. In other words, faith in him is the key. And what did it lead to? Oh, it led to their rejoicing in the Lord. 21. It says, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Is there not rejoicing? And then if we think again in verse 27, and they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. 
We could even think about the riches here that's mentioned in verse 25. We could mention about the revival in verse 26. The Lord dealt with the enemy. You know what happened? Let me say in closing. They fell out among themselves. And they destroyed each other. Doesn't the Lord work in strange ways? One day earlier they're afraid we're going to die. The enemy's at the gate. And now the Lord has stepped in and changed the whole situation. Let me say this in closing. In 1940, in May, when Britain stood alone, there was a three-day call for prayer and fasting. And the whole of the nation was encouraged to pray and fast before the Lord. And I believe that was on the 24th, 25th, 26th of May, if I'm right. And the strange thing is this now. I want you to think of our troops at Dunkirk. I want you to think of Hitler's army on the march. And you know what happened? Hitler ordered the whole army to halt. To stay in their barracks, wherever they were. To the dismay of his own generals. Now only God could do that. That gave our troops a chance to get to Dunkirk and escape. And then think about the evacuation of Dunkirk. How the storm came. And then there was a sea of glass and the storm was calmed. And every vessel that was possible, they went out under the moonlight and brought the uh, allies safely home uh, to, to English shores. You see, God stepped in in the past, 1859, 1920. And we have to pray and get before the Lord and say this. Wilt thou not revive us again? That we thy people may rejoice in thee. Oh, that we would learn to bless the Lord for this repeating of the word that brings us to reverence him, that causes us to be reassured because we have faith in him and in his name. We believe in the Lord and we rejoice and, and he gives us the spoils of war and brings about revival. Can the Lord do it again? I believe the answer is yes. Do we need it? Yes. Our responsibility is to pray and to seek the Lord. May the Lord bless these few thoughts and words to our hearts this morning.